Father in heaven, I pray that you would come and abide with us today as we go through these resources. I pray that you would encourage us, that your will would reign supreme, and uh, that we would be better equipped to share our faith through digital media. And we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start with this one. There are a series of resources that we're about to see. This first one. So this resource was put together. Uh, friends of mine filmed it, but it's also for another friend of mine who's a speaker. How many people are familiar with Taj Pakleb? He's an evangelist from Hawaii. He's been on 3BN, spoken at GYC and maybe ASI too, I'm not sure. Anyway, younger guy. Um, great, great speaker, does awesome work. Uh, yeah, I'd say you probably know him. He hung out at your church for three weeks, right? Did a series at Battle Creek. Um, so what I'm going to share with you is a series of devotionals. I'm not going to share all of them, but one of the devotionals that he's put together uh, on a story that he had happen recently that his house was actually burned down uh, by an arsonist. Um, and so I'd like to share the story that he's pulled out of that, and that's what this is about. Um, so this is, if you want to look up how to have this, this first one, if you want to search Revelation of Hope in YouTube, uh, they have a channel. It's got a globe, like Jesus with his hands around the globe. It, it, Revelation of Hope, but his series of devotionals is called Reflections of Hope. So you can search for it that way too. And this one specifically is called Strength to Love. Uh, and this is actually filmed by my best friend, so I'm a little biased. Um, but yeah, so this is eight... Uh, Revelation to Hope, Episode 7. Revelation, yeah. By the way, it's the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelations. Sorry, that's just a, that's something that gets under my skin a little bit. Uh, yeah, but it's Revelation of Hope is the name of the ministry, but this specific series of devotionals is called Reflections of Hope. This is the seventh one. It says Episode 7. It's called Strength to Love. Perhaps one of the hardest commands ever imposed upon mortal man is the injunction of Christ who said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now this doesn't come natural to the sinful heart. Naturally our hearts are bent towards self-love and self-preservation. Naturally hatred and vengeance is our first reaction to those who mistreat us and those who seek to do us harm. Love and forgiveness is usually not our first response. So how can we live up to this high standard of unconditional love that is set before us? Where exactly do we find this strength to love like this? And where is its source? It was about eight months ago when I first met our new neighbor, Jonathan. He's a homeless man with major mental issues that decided to squat in this abandoned house next to ours. My first encounter with him happened at 2 o'clock in the morning. My grandma woke me up to inform me that some crazy guy had smashed the back of my car windshield. He wasn't trying to steal it. He only wanted to destroy it. The cops came to arrest him and took him to the mental hospital. What a terrible inconvenience. Can you imagine that? Rudely awakened in the middle of the night, then having to spend the next two hours cleaning my car of all the shattered glass before I was able to go back to sleep. Then I had to pay $498 out-of-pocket repair because it was just under the $500 insurance deductible. Then waiting for hours for the repair, terrible customer service at Hawaii Subaru, and the list goes on. But that's not the end of it. 
My next encounter with Jonathan happened several months later when he decided to burn down this abandoned house that he was squatting in. Thankfully, the firemen came and put out the fire and the cops came to arrest him again. But it didn't stop there. About a month ago, Jonathan was successful in burning down this abandoned car on our street. He's been arrested over and over again, but each time he's let go because of his mental instability. Now you would think that the authorities could do better in keeping our community safe from a known arsonist who has a violent past, especially when there's so many children that live on our street. Somebody dropped the ball big time on this one. But that's another discussion for another time. But here's my struggle, and maybe you can relate. How do I love a neighbor that seeks to harm me? How do I bless someone that seeks to hurt me? Where does this unconditional love come from? And how do I experience it practically in my day-to-day life? The last time I saw Jonathan was just a few days ago, after he was arrested for starting another fire in the early hours of the morning. This time the fire not only burned on the house that he was squatting in, the flames also spread to our own home, causing hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage and a bunch of wasted time. Now thankfully we all got out and no one was seriously injured, but now our family has to completely move out of our home, we have to find another place to live for the next 6 to 12 months, and now we have to spend time that we don't have to rebuild our damaged home. To say that this was another terrible inconvenience is a gross understatement. Far more was at stake than our physical possessions. For if we had slept just five minutes longer, we could have very well have lost our lives. And worst of all, this tragedy was completely preventable if our leaders and representatives would have done something sooner. So what do we do now? My natural self wants to be filled with anger and frustration. Especially when I see the damage it's done to my home and the hurt it's caused to my family. My natural self wants to complain and be upset not only with Jonathan, but with the city, the state, the bank that owns this abandoned home, the hospital officials, all those who seem to do absolutely nothing to prevent his dangerous actions. But then I think of the words of Jesus. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Here is the command of Christ. But the next part is the promise of power to fulfill the command. Because Jesus continued to say, That you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. You see, beloved, the power to love your neighbor as well as your enemy is found in remembering that this is exactly how God has treated us. He sends his sunshine and his rain both on the righteous and the wicked. He loves all of us the same. For his love is unconditional. And his love is infinite. Friends, we can only love others because Jesus has first loved us. I begin to realize that what Jonathan has done to us, I have done the same to Jesus. By my foolish choices and actions, I have caused God so much pain. For it was my sins that nailed him to the cross. It was my foolishness that brought him agonizing pain and embarrassing shame. I was the cause of his suffering. I was the cause of his pain. And yet this same Christ was still able to look upon me with eyes of infinite love. But I was yet living in my disobedience, crucifying him afresh by my sins. He was able to look upon me in compassion and pity. Even when I held the hammer in my hands, getting ready to nail him to the cross, Jesus looked upon me in love and he prayed for me. He said, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. By the power of his love, 
Jesus extended mercy to me. He loved me even when I hated him. He gave to me not what I deserved, which was death. He gave me that which I needed, which was amazing grace, marvelous mercy, and eternal life. Thank you, Lord. When I think about what my Lord has done for me, how can I do anything less for others? How can I withhold forgiveness from someone who's wronged me? When Jesus has forgiven me so freely, yet I've done far worse to him. As I swept up the broken glass on the ground months ago, and as I sweep up the charred wood and the toxic ashes of my home today, God is also sweeping up the anger and frustration from my heart. By focusing on the cross, I'm finding so much of strength and power to love. And what a precious lesson God has been teaching me. But it's the same lesson he's teaching all of us today. My friend, is there someone that needs your forgiveness? Someone that hurt you, that needs your grace? What God has done for you, you can do for others. Just open your heart and let God pour out his love in you and through you. Allow him to make you a channel of healing love to someone today. And remember that when your life is shattered like glass, and your hopes are reduced to ash. God is always there to clean up the mess and to remove all distress. Now, we may not be able to trust presidents and politicians and the police and even pastors to fix our problems, but there is a God that we can trust to keep us strong in the most trying and difficult hour. And so never forget that heaven's blessings will always outweigh life's difficulties because no matter how hard or hot it gets, we are blessed more than we deserve. And we're surely blessed more than we realize. So when you're tempted to be discouraged and complain about your situation, first count your blessings and recognize that it could be worse. And thank God that there are blessings even in brokenness. And in the weakness of our sinful humanity, never forget that the strength to love the unlovable and the unloving is found in the God of infinite love. So this is found on YouTube. Revelation of Hope Ministries is the channel. Then he has a series of devotionals. He's got like 10 of them, 11, something like that. Really, really good stuff. They're excellently filmed and um, good messages in them, practical stuff. It'd be safe to share with anybody. And yeah, there's another really good one here. Uh, tempted, but I'll move on. I'm trying to give you a wide taste of stuff just so you can know what resources exist and how to share with people that you know. So you can find that on YouTube. You can subscribe to his channel. That's the best thing to do. Then you can just get access to everything they release when they come out. Um, I went through YouTube quickly to find them that way because I knew it would be easier than looking through all their past posts to find them. Taj has posted these. If you want to link them directly from Facebook, if you go to his page, Revelation of Hope, on Facebook, you can find those videos there too. Yeah, it's a fantastic question. It depends on where they're located. Um, I knew this would be the quickest way to find them to show you, but there are both options in most cases here. Um, and for YouTube, you can use these to share through email. If you share on Twitter, no problem. They don't suppress them. Twitter's no problem. But for Facebook, you can go to his actual Facebook page. It's just Revelation of Hope again. And if you go to the video section of their page in Facebook, then you'll be able to find the links for it. Um, this is another one. Uh, this is done by my friend Jasper that I was talking about yesterday. This is from his YouTube channel, Tell Them Ministry. And so I would recommend subscribing to both, their Facebook and their YouTube. Um, but this is 
uh, a vlog that he did based upon some mission work that he kind of helped oversee just to kind of document uh, in the bush of Papua, right on the border of Papua New Guinea and Indonesia. And this, yet to find this on Facebook would be hard because Jasper just posted it from his actual page, I think. But if you, you can follow Jasper on Facebook. He can't be his friend. He has too many friends now. But if you follow him, if you click videos on his section, you may be able to find it there too, but it'll take a while. And I just didn't have the time to do that, but for sure you can find it here. This is called Jungle Missions Episode 2 on his YouTube channel, Tell Them Ministry. Let's pray. Dear Lord, may you bless us as we go. Holy Spirit be upon us. Bless our minds and give us creativity as we can. Bless us. Alright, here we go. So we know this is day two. We're uh, filming these kids here. We're about to film them walking. And then uh, we're going to head out. Hop on the plane, hopefully, if the weather stays good. And uh, fly to some other village. The plane is coming at 10, so really we only have like... 40 minutes to film up. So I found my spot where I could fly my drone face down to right now. The kids move across there and we're letting them wait because we're going to film the activity. Hopefully this will not kill my camera. It takes the children an hour to get to the school. We start walking at just a break of dawn. Hike is uphill to unforgiving terrain. Many children need to be pulled out of bed and stuffed into their private cars. Not here. Every step was a sacrifice. It made me think to myself, how far will you go for knowledge? How far will you go for education? How far will you go to find the truth? <laughs> We don't have that much, but we do have some chocolates with us. We decided to give them some chocolates. For some of them, it's their first time to taste them, and the reaction is just priceless. School is not all fun and games here in the jungle. As part of their education, these children tend to their gardens. But even though they're working with their hands, you won't see them frown. They saw manual labor as a joy and a privilege, and they understood that they must work in order to eat. No one was complaining. Everyone concentrated on the task at hand. So now we're filming the kids going to the shower. This is where the shower is, pass through the rivers. School showers are special here in the jungle. But there's no shower room to speak of. Instead, the children wash off their dirt in the cool stream of a waterfall. No one needs to pay the water bill. No one needs to turn off the tap. The missionaries help the children shower, and the children need to shower. Each of them has only one change of school uniform. They use these uniforms every day. They cannot risk them against the elements, 
so they keep the uniform safe and locked away. In Obutongo, there's no furnished classrooms. You only have grass floors and no furniture. But the furniture is not important. The spirit of prophecy says that the character and the spirit, that is important. I could see that the children were eager to learn and ready to study. That was what really mattered. It may be sad to think that many of us who sit in furnished, air-conditioned classrooms can still find things to complain about. The joy that these children have is an illustration that those who have less tend to appreciate what they have more. So, we're in a rush because we're catching Gary and we're like 40 minutes away, so we need to run. So you take nine minutes. Nine minutes? Let's go. So we're on our way right now to catch our next flight. We're going to head to another village. Day two has been really challenging so far. Wow, I'm really tired. So the plane's just landed and we need to walk all the way down, going up 30 minutes for a foreigner, five minutes for a local. So we don't have time to do an interview, but um, this is Professor Gimara. His wife was here before and they were doing mission work. The wife ate some fruit. She probably had an allergic reaction to it and she eventually died. Tomorrow will be her first death anniversary. She's here visiting. He wants to finish the work here in Obotongo because he doesn't want he doesn't want the work of his wife in vain. It's a very inspiring man. Yeah. It's time to say goodbye to the people. Uh, it's always hard to say goodbye. As a way goodbye to those children, I realized that I had so much, and yet I had so little. These things taught me a valuable lesson. That is, their joys not depend on material things or the conditions of their circumstances. It doesn't matter to them that they must walk miles to reach the nearest schoolhouse. They are simply grateful for an opportunity to learn. Friends, where does your joy come from? Is it dependent on your circumstances or based on gratefulness to God for each gift He offers? If you're inspired by this video and are willing to help build more jungle schools or to become a missionary teacher in one of the villages, please contact the email in the description below. God bless you and hope to see you in episode 3. So, I didn't catch which country was this from. It's on the border of it's on the border of Indonesia and Papua New Guinea. It's in Papua, Hobotongo. So, 
One of the things that you can do is just document work that's already happening. This is what Jasper did. Jasper wasn't the one doing the work. He was documenting what somebody else was doing. And in doing so, it's increasing awareness. Uh, Georgia Cumberland Conference, I'm actually going there this weekend, or yeah, this weekend. Um, they're partnering to help build schools in this very area. And so they're raising funds and doing other things. So there's ways that you can use digital media to increase awareness about something that's important that no one else would know about, right? Uh, so whenever you do go on mission trips and other things, you can document them. This is called a vlog, which is you documenting things that you're seeing as you go, but visually, right? So the voiceovers and other things kind of give some of that background. Um, this is a devotional that I did with Unseen Media Group. Uh, this is the next channel you can look up. These are also on Facebook. Unseen Media Group, U-N-S-C-E-N-E Media Group. Uh, they've got a Facebook page where they've started making cinematic devotional videos instead of just you know, a person standing in front of a screen or doing something else, we're doing them in front of a, in a more cinematic setting. And it's called, What If I Fail? So this one is not very long, like three minutes or so. It's actually filmed here in Michigan in St. Joe, maybe? Do you feel like a failure? Do you wonder if God will even take you back because you failed? I want to share something with you today. The great blessings of being in my greatest moments of discouragement. In the Old Testament, there's a prophet named Elijah, whom God uses in amazing ways and with great power. Probably the greatest way is when he literally calls down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel to prove that God alone is worthy of allegiance and worship. It rocks the nation, and even Ahab, the pagan king of Israel, is convicted and realizes that he's in the wrong. And it's at this moment when Elijah seems to have the greatest potential in ministry, that he enters the darkest experience of his life. Word gets to Jezebel, Ahab's wife, and she issues a death decree for Elijah. Elijah hears of it, and he runs for his life. He's seized with depression, he forgets God, he loses his hold on God, and he literally wants to die. And at this stage, you would assume that God is going to wipe his hands of this guy and move on to someone else. But he doesn't. He literally sends an angel from heaven to minister to Elijah's needs to keep running from himself. And then when Elijah gets to Mount Horeb, God doesn't greet him with words of condemnation and shame. He asks him a simple, probing question. What are you doing here? I still need you to go back. And Elijah does go back. And he ends up raising a Jehu and Elisha who agree with the of the nation. And then the story ends in a way that none of us would expect. God literally sends a fiery chariot from heaven to take this guy home without ever speaking to him. I don't know where you find yourself, but here's what I do know. There's a God in heaven who knows no failure and who loves people who are filled with them. And that even when we do fail and mess up, he loves us enough to chase us down and ask us that question. What are you doing here? I haven't called you here, and I'm not giving up on you because you are here. I believe in you, and I need you. And I'm asking you to go back and trust that my strength will be perfect in
Um, I've mentioned yesterday that Little Lights, so there's, I think, Unseen, we've made like seven or eight cinematic devotionals, something along those lines, and there's some other videos too. All right. I appreciate you. You bet. Okay. Um, I talked about Little Light Studios yesterday. There's a series of things they've done that they have on their YouTube channel. The first one uh, is they have mini documentaries. They used, they're full-length documentaries you need to buy on DVD, I think. But they have mini documentaries, shorter ones, called LED. They're light-exposing darkness. And in those, they talk about different things that are happening in Hollywood media that are not in the best interest of, of anyone, really. And um, they also, as I mentioned, have started a series of five-minute Bible study videos called VBS and video Bible studies. This is one of those, just one example. They've made and released about 12 to 13, I believe. They also had a chat or like a talk program called, uh, you know, <laughs> um, Small Talk. Small Talk. And so they had done a series of videos talking about more relevant hot topic issues for young people, uh, just kind of talking through them. That also exists. Those are some other resources that they have on their channel. And uh, this is one of those video Bible studies where they tackle one of the doctrines of our church or a topic of practical Christianity in five minutes or less, which is way harder than you can imagine. <laughs> Brevity and preaching are not generally used in the same breath. Hey, YouTube. Do we need God's law? Do we need God's law? Let's explore that question together in five minutes or less. We don't always like rules and laws. In fact, I know some people who make it a point of breaking them. And maybe it's because some of them can just seem a little bit Pointless. Did you know, for instance, that in North Carolina, technically bingo games are not supposed to last longer than five hours? Or in Pauling, Ohio, policemen are actually allowed to bite a dog if they think it will calm the dog down. Did you know that in Gainesville, Georgia, you're not allowed to eat fried chicken any other way than using your hands? You want to use a fork? Too bad. So what about God's law? Is it like this? Is it just some arbitrary rules that don't seem to have much of a point? Well, we're going to look at today about whether God's law is really looking out for our good. Let's start with the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. This is probably the place that we first think of when we think of God's law. We have commandments there like, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, not making graven images, remembering the Sabbath, not bearing false witness, not stealing, not murdering. Well, let's think of the issues that we have in society today. Can you imagine a society with no murder? You realize that if everyone followed God's law, that would be the case. What about no stealing? Wouldn't you love to not have to lock your doors or buy expensive security systems? Think about not committing adultery. No more broken homes. No more broken lives with these types of things. There would even be no more disobedient children if everyone really followed the command to obey their father and mother. But aside from those practical benefits, you still might be asking, but couldn't the law done away with at the cross? Because we're under grace now. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is clear. We are saved by grace and not the law. We have to be very sure about that. Well, let's give an example. Let's say that I was driving down the road going way too fast and I get pulled over by a police officer. 
I deserve a ticket. But somehow the officer decides to give me a warning. He gives me In the light of this, do I just speed off as fast as I can go because I'm under grace now? Actually, I would probably go off a lot more carefully and slowly than I would have done otherwise, because I'm thankful for this grace. And are we thankful for God's grace the same way? Romans 3.20 says that the law is the knowledge of sin. It just tells us that we need a Savior. It's like a mirror, James 1.23-25 says. If I look in my mirror and I see that my face is dirty, do I then take the mirror off the wall and use it to wash my face? No, that really would work too well. What the mirror does is it shows me that I need to be washed. And that's God's law. It shows me that I need Jesus in my life. I need his grace. Not only this, but God's law shows his very character. We see this compared many times in the Bible. It says that God is love, and it says the law is love, 1 John 4, 8, and Romans 13, 8-10. The law is pure, and God is pure, 1 John 3, 3, and Psalms 19, 7-8. The law is just, and God is just, Isaiah 45, 21, and Romans 7, 12. Over and over, we see the law is not just rules, it's the very heart of who God is. Still, you may be saying, I can't keep this law on my own. I've tried before to be good, and I can't. Well, here's a beautiful promise. In Jeremiah 31, 33, God says, I will put my law in their mind and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. This is God's ideal for us. He wants us to be like him. He wants our hearts to be like him. And God can do this for you, too. Do you want to try God's law? Do you want to ask him to put that in our hearts so we not only keep it in the letter, but keep it in the spirit, in our very hearts? God can do this. You know what I was just thinking? They should subscribe. You should subscribe. That's a good idea. It is. Push the little button below so that every time these videos come out, you'll get notified of the new ones. So that is something, if you're not aware, that when you do get to YouTube, you find someone you like, you can hit the subscribe button, but there's also a bell that eventually shows up that allows you to actually get a direct notification each time that something is posted by them, which makes it easier than just having to see it otherwise. Um, Chad and Fadia Cruiser are here. Uh, he's actually doing the... I'm so confused because there's youth and then there's teens and there's teenagers and both, and I don't know what's what, but in that tent over there, uh, Chad is doing those meetings, and they've put together some documentaries, if you're not aware of these, are a phenomenal resource, super good resource. It's, their ministry is called Anchor Point Films. You can see it up here on the board, Anchor Point Films, and they probably have their documentaries upstairs, actually, at the ABC. I bet they probably do, um, but if not, you can go to their website and find them there, but they've created documentaries that are about an hour in length that looks like you're watching a History Channel documentary, but it's actually a Bible study. And they've done them on the Word of God, the Great Controversy, the Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ, the Law, the Antichrist, the Sabbath, the State of the Dead. Are they on Facebook or YouTube? No, these are DVDs. Huh? These are DVDs. I mean, this, so where is this posted? Website. I'm not there yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not there yet. That's not what I'm talking about. DVDs. Yeah, no. I'm talking about the DVDs, which I was mentioning can be found upstairs or on their website. Those are what they've made when it comes to full-length documentaries. 
What I'm about to show you is just a shorter video they have on their Facebook page. Um, but anyway, if you go to their website, anchorpointfilms.com, or just Google them to find it that way, uh, it's a phenomenal resource. They've also put together documentaries on health, their passion about health, the gut-brain connection, um, some of the secrets on why people live longer who live a biblical health diet, um, and they've done one more on another topic that eludes me at the moment. Um, oh, they have a series on overcoming, too. Great resources, amazing people. Uh, they also travel and do seminars in Michigan. They're, they're moving to Michigan, and I'm sure would be happy to, to come to your church if you would like to have any of those seminars there. Chad also does full-length evangelistic series. But on their Facebook page, where we are now, uh, they have a series on overcoming diabetes, and I think this is actually just kind of a, a little brief intro into that. Um, yeah, so here we go. Chad Cruiser here with Anchor Point Films, and I want you to understand some of the physiology of how diabetes actually works, and I'm, I'm not here to tell you all the intricacies of it, all the deep scientific terminology. I want to make it very simple so that most anybody can grasp the makeup, how, how type 2 diabetes works. But in order to understand that, first I want you to understand how a healthy person's physiology works. So basically, if, if you have a meal, so you sit down to a meal and have some, some starches, and some carbs, and probably some you know, fat, protein, it has a mixture of food. Well, some of those carbs and starches break down into simple sugars. Uh, they ultimately break down some of them into what we call glucose. But we'll just call it sugar uh, for the rest of the time just so that you understand it. So as, as you eat the food, it goes down in your stomach and over time it begins to break down to digest and ultimately some of it will make its way into your blood stream as sugar. And as it begins to increase the blood sugar because more of it, you know, as you're digesting it, more of it gets into your bloodstream, your body senses that. And this, in this picture here, on the left hand side, you see something that we call the pancreas. You can see this behind your stomach. And the pancreas produces something that helps you to metabolize or, or helps your body to get the sugar that you need into your cells so that your cells can have energy. So your pancreas, pancreas here produces something called insulin, a hormone called insulin. So basically, every one of your cells in your body, imagine, you know, okay, so here you have a cell, and this cell needs energy. Just like you need energy, just like your car needs fuel, your cells need fuel. And one of the main sources of fuel for your cells is glucose or sugar. Now, in certain situations, fat can also need to be metabolized and uh, can be made to be a function as energy for the cells. But the main source is a simple sugar. And so your cells need sugar, just like your car may need gasoline. And so I had a motorhome for years with a uh, if you wanted to actually get into the fuel tank, you had to actually have a key to open it up. And your cells also need a key to open them up afterwards. And the key that they need is insulin, which again is produced by the pancreas. So when you eat a meal, the blood you know, begins to get more sugar in it. Your body senses that tells the pancreas, hey man, we got to get that sugar in the cells, into the gas tank, so that our cells have energy. And so your pancreas begins to shoot out a bunch of keys. And those keys are insulin. They come forth and they, they connect with the cells through something called the key receptor. All that is called the insulin receptor. And as it connects, it, as it were, turns the you know, lock in our illustration. The, the cell opens up and allows the sugar to get in. So here, 
video to illustrate it. So these five-pointed, star-shaped, flower-shaped uh, substance here, this is the insulin. And notice it makes its way and it connects to the insulin receptor. This is a normal person. That's a cell there at the bottom, that you know, portion of a circle that you see. And as the as the insulin connects, it opens up the cell, and because of that, the sugar gets into the cell. That little white ball gets the glucose, the sugar. Now it gets into the cell. And once it gets into the cell, now your cell has energy, and you have energy, and you're able to go about life and feel good. Now this is what happens in a normal person. But I want you to see the very same thing, and see what happens in a type 2 diabetic. So let's look at this. So here is a type 2 diabetic. Their pancreas still produces plenty of insulin. Actually, type 2 diabetics may produce twice as much insulin because something is stopping the sugar from getting into the cell. So they eat a, a meal with some sugar in it, the blood sugar begins to go up. And notice what happens. The sugar wants to get in the cell, but the insulin is not connecting well. Or maybe it even connects, but it is resistant to allowing the sugar to get in. The scientists call this insulin resistance. Now, if you notice this picture, this picture is actually kind of pale. The cell here is more pale. Now, I just made it that color for our illustration today. Because this cell now has more fat in it. Now, the scientific term for this is intramyocellular lipid. You don't have to worry about that. It simply means fat within the cell. What does this mean? Because fat has gone in the cell, the key doesn't work very well in it. Like if somebody, uh, Dr. Neil Barnard gave the illustration that it would be similar to what would happen if uh, someone took stuff from bubble gum in your keyhole. And so you have a good key, your insulin, and you have a good lock, but somebody has gummed it up. And when you get fat within your cells, the fat that gets in there gums it up so that the keys don't function very well. And the now this stands for reason because the main the main culprit or the greatest risk factor I should say for type 2 diabetes is excess weight. So if we can get the fat in the cell out of there, if we can burn up the fat within that cell, and the main way to do that is actually through learning to change our diet so that our body can burn that fat up, our body can function, and a type 2 diabetic 95% of them can reverse it in very short order. We're going to talk more about that as we go forward. So they're starting to kind of produce shorter resources that they can have available through Facebook for people to watch, which is helpful. Um, and But their documentaries, like I said, they're fuller length, but they're not like 37 DVD documentaries, right? They're, they're shorter series. Uh, that's another great asset being put together by Adventists. So they have health stuff, they have stuff on prophecy, and they also have a series on overcoming. Uh, I told you yesterday about a ministry called Bible Ask. It used to be called Proof Directory, now it's called Bible Ask. Their website... Uh, is getting tons of traffic daily. Their Facebook page has over 80,000 followers, and a majority of them are not Seventh-day Adventists. And it's a phenomenal resource because when people have Bible questions and they go to this place, they're receiving Seventh-day Adventist answers. But it's not, this is an official website of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're Seventh-day Adventists. You should be too. Let me answer your questions. It's not communicated that way. It's just called Bible Ask, but it's run by Adventists. They've done thousands of questions. They've been doing it for years. And it's a great, great asset. If you just have a coworker and you're looking for a way to kind of bridge the gap with them, how to have a discourse with them, you can just talk about, you know, you were looking at this website, you were trying to get answers for biblical questions, and you found some good answers, and you should do that first. You don't want to lie to them. Um, it's a great place to send them. 
uh, just to kind of start getting their, their feet wet on that. They started producing some documentary, or some, not documentaries, some little devotional videos uh, whenever ASI and GYC happened. They just kind of grab speakers and say, hey, would you give kind of a thought that would be helpful for a broad audience? Um, and so John Bradshaw did one for them last year called Are You a Legalist? Are you a legalist? I already know what you're going to say. You're going to say no, when the fact is you could well be. Uh, but nobody wants to be a legalist to the extent tons of people, in order to shun legalism, veer all the way over to the other side. The legalist says, how much do I have to do to be saved? Great, I'm doing that. Can I do more? Maybe there's even more that I can do to purchase my salvation. Or because I, I feel so guilt-ridden if I don't, then I must do this to somehow appease God or win God's favor. The person who's not a legalist but has gone to the other side of the equation says, no, that even matters. Standard. I just live my life how I want to live it. Because I've accepted Jesus, you know this, that a legalist, and I'm going to use the phrase of liberal, legalism and liberalism is essentially different sides of exactly the same coin. The legalist is saved by what she does, what he does. I've done this, therefore I've sa I'm saved, I've earned it. The liberal, exactly the same. Except they do this, they say, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've done that. I'm saved through that. Salvation doesn't come through what you've done, what you're doing. Salvation comes through a connection with Jesus Christ. Now, when that happens, what do you think is going to be seen in your life? You stop quibbling about stuff and you start surrendering and you let Jesus have his way. Jesus himself was speaking to some people in Matthew 23, 23. There were scribes and Pharisees. He said, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These things ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Jesus said, You should have tithed. For some people, tithing would just be legalism. My goodness, that's doing some, some deed. But when your deeds are motivated by love, they have value. Let's take it a step further. When Jesus comes into your life, he starts to live his life. And so if you'll surrender, Jesus will start to work out his will and do his will in your life. You hold on to Jesus and go where he leads you. He leads you to tithe. You're not asking, is this a salvational issue? You're not asking, is this legalism? You resolve, this is God's will, I'm doing it. When it comes down to what you eat or what you wear or where you go or what you watch or what you listen to, some people find talking about that distasteful and stuffy. Some people are like, oh, don't bother me with that. I love Jesus. Others, they want to talk about it because the more they can do, the the more standards they can uphold, the better they feel about themselves. In the middle is faith that works by love. See, faith without works is dead. When Jesus has you, the faith of Jesus has you, God's will is being done in your life. And you're just glad because you love God. So, if you're battling with legalism, liberalism, grab hold of Jesus and just say, whatever your will is, that's for me. You grow. I don't expect that any of us are getting it entirely right because we've grown in our faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Yield that heart to Jesus. He'll come into your life and he'll lead you to do all of the things that he wants you to do for the simple fact that you love him. You love him because you know him. you're in his word. You spend time with him. You love him.
And Facebook recommends videos that have nothing to do with what you're talking about. Just be prepared. Gas pump karaoke sounds just like legalism or liberalism, doesn't it? Okay. Uh, there was another resource that came into my mind a moment ago, and I forgot. I'm going to go ahead and delete these. So, GYC, I did not mention them yesterday. GYC, uh, how many people have not heard of GYC? Okay, so GYC is a large youth gathering uh, that happens every year, and they also have regional gatherings that are like the National Conference. So they have begun a process of creating resources as well. If you go to gycweb.tv, uh, where they have something called GYC Beyond. It's kind of like this growing resource of knowing practical tools and how to share your faith. I think there's study guides that come with it. There's podcasts. And so those can be found here on their website, gycweb.tv. You go to gycweb.tv, how to teach an interesting Sabbath school lesson, discovering our Christian heritage, why Christianity, why should you be involved in your local church. So there's all kinds of cool resources, um, gycweb.tv. And they've also are some devotionals that they have kind of scattered throughout there as well. And then they also have all the messages that take place at GYC. So if you're looking for places to either watch or listen to them, uh, maybe you missed one of the seminars that you really wanted to go to. You can find those here as well. Um, and, of course, Audioverse was another resource I talked about yesterday that you can find them there as well. But if you're looking for some of that, that's a great place to go, gycweb.tv. And they're creating more resources as they go. Okay. This is uh, the guy I told you about yesterday, Justin Coe, who has a thing called um, a YouTube channel called That Christian Vlogger geared towards millennials, and he kind of casts a wide net. He's not just dealing with Adventist issues, dealing with more widespread issues um, in practical Christianity. He's got a video here called Three Steps to Knowing God's Will for Your Life. The setting may look familiar because this was actually filmed by the same person who shot the John Bradshaw one. Um, but the content's good just to kind of give you some of Justin's thinking. Who here hasn't wondered the question, what does God want me to do with my life? What is my purpose, and what was I created to do? Well, today I want to give you three practical steps on how you can determine God's will for your life. Tip number one is simply this. Have you actually been asking God? Now, a lot of people will ask me the question, what does God want me to do with my life? And the answer is, I don't know. I'm not God. Why don't you actually try asking Him for a change? Now, and I don't mean just ask Him once, like, all right, God, what do you want me to do? But I mean actually sincerely asking, maybe, maybe spending some real time in prayer, some time in, in, in meditation on, hey, God, what is it that you have for me to do? So, step number one, simply put, just ask God. Step number two would simply be this, is be willing to let go of your actual dreams. Now, imagine this. Imagine God wants you to go down path number one, but you want to go down path number two. Now, why would God reveal his will for you if you're determined, completely strong-willed, and ready to go down a path that God doesn't want you to go down? If, if he told you, it would kind of make you a rebel, it would make you kind of rebellious, it would make you kind of sinning in going against God's will. So I think one of the reasons why, perhaps, God may in fact be silent when we ask the questions, because when we ask the question, we're not actually sincere about following what God says. So it's not just enough to ask God what he wants to do, but we actually have to be in a place in our heart where we are actually willing to follow what he has to say. And honestly, I understand, this is really difficult. I mean, I am the kind of person who's grown up with dreams, with 
with ambition, with goals in mind, and probably one of the more challenging things that I've ever had to do in my walk with God is to say, you know what, God, not my will, but your will. And I think once you get to that point, then you can move on to step number three. Step number three usually happens where you are, you know, asking God, you're willing to follow him, but then you're still realizing that God is a little bit silent in giving you the response. So, so what do you do in that moment? Well, my answer is simple. Bloom where you are planted. For whatever reason, God has placed you in the place, in the time, in, in the situation that you are in for a reason. And you might not actually understand that reason. I mean, consider Moses when he was in the wilderness, right? Moses was one of the rulers in Egypt, and God had promised that Moses would deliver his people out of Egypt. And so Moses one day sees this guy beating a fellow Israelite. And Moses, you know, the kind of self-determined, self-made type of man, decides to take things into his own hands and kills this man. Well, you know the story. He ends up having to flee, run away. You see, Moses was too confident in himself. What God had to do was to humble Moses and to teach him a few lessons that he couldn't learn while in Egypt. So Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness. Now, I'm sure while he was there, Moses is thinking, why am I here? What's the point? I understand that God has a purpose and a plan for my life, and yet I'm stuck here cleaning up after sheep for 40 years. You see, what God wanted Moses to learn was humility and patience, something that perhaps he could never learn in Egypt and could learn better while taking care of sheep. So what was Moses supposed to do in those 40 years? He was supposed to bloom where he planted, simply doing his very best at the small tasks that God put in front of him. Because the Bible does say that when you're faithful over the small things, God will make you faithful over the main things. So, step number one, you've got to actually ask God. Not, not just doing your own thing, but actually consulting God and say, God, you know what? I want to know what you have planned for me. Step number two is simply being willing to sacrifice your dreams, ambitions, and goals. Now, maybe God actually never requires you to sacrifice them, but just that willingness is so important. And then step number three, as you're waiting on the response from God, say, hey, I'm going to move where I'm planted. I'm going to do my best with what lies in front of me. I think after you do those three steps, you'll find that God starts to work in your life and to make it clear to you what he's creating you to do. Hey YouTube, what is going on? I'm still here in Texas and I got to run into my friend Mark over here and we shot a video. You're going to notice that this video is it's going to be a little bit higher quality production than what I'm normally capable of doing and so I'm really grateful for him and my friends over at Bible Ask. I actually did two videos for them, so there's a second one that you will only see on their Facebook page and they have other interviews with all of my... So... Uh, he's a vlogger, so one of the things he will do is kind of document from a first-person perspective things that he's doing, things he's seeing. He did a great job on documenting our Pathways to Health um, a couple years ago, one of the ones that they did, I think the Los Angeles one, because he's from Southern California. And uh, as you can tell with that fancy hair button, he doesn't have that anymore. Um, all right, this is a video. They have other ones. I'm a little biased. There's only two of them that I'm really super excited about. Uh, but they do have other options that they've made. But this is um, from Amazing Facts Ministries Canada. And the first two videos are um, one's on hell and the other's on the state of the dead. They've done really well. How many views do they have on this? 101,000 views for an Adventist organization. That's a lot. And they've done two animated videos on the topic of hell and the state of the dead. They're witty. Uh, they're quick moving, but for the demographic they're trying to reach, that's not a problem. For you, it may be. So just be, be ready. Um, and 
They're it's super, super well-written. It's a little bit longer. I think it's nine minutes. Um, and I think we just have one more video after this, and then we'll be done. But this is uh, well-produced. If you just search this in YouTube, it's Amazing Facts Ministries Canada. You can search their channel that way. Facebook, I don't think you'll find them there. Um, but you can try in the search bar. And then if you just type hell, uh, what's that called? The minus sign dash hyphen. And then the truth about hell. So it says hell hyphen the truth about hell. And that's where you can find this one. Today we want to give you hell to think about. You probably heard that if you made just one mistake, committed one sin and didn't repent, the law of God, which is holy, just, and good, condemns your life, and God will burn you in the flames of hell forever. It's true. A sin can keep you out of hell, and God will purge sin from his universe with fire. But does the Bible teach that the lost burn forever in hell? If you're an agnostic, you might be thinking, if that's the kind of God we serve, I don't want anything to do with it. I could never respect the love of God who burns people in hell forever just because they don't love him. A well-meaning Christian might say, God is God. Who are we to judge what he does or doesn't? After all, the Bible teaches that the wicked burn forever in hell. And that settles it. To embrace the idea of eternal hellfire, one must sacrifice any ideas of human compassion, feeling, or reason to this God of fire. As a Christian, it's one thing to say with conviction, the wicked burn forever. It's quite another to consider it being your own wife, husband, or child. Wouldn't you hate a divine being who would do such a horrible thing to the love of your life? For those of you who don't go to church, aren't religious, and have a problem with a God who would burn people in fire forever, don't walk away just yet. The ending will surprise you. And for those Christians who have been persuaded, there is a place called hell where people burn forever, but have a hard time understanding how a God of love could do such a thing, hang in here, Christian. Your instincts are probably wrong. But what if it is true that God does burn people forever? Think about it. Have you ever burned your hand on a hot stove? How did it feel? Can you imagine then your whole body burning in a blazing hot fire for eternity? First of all, no human being could make the endure a person would pass out and eventually go insane. Further, the vital life force of the body would give way to death. But if by some miracle you lived in the fire forever, what do you suppose you'd be thinking about God during your endless suffering? Knowing that for a brief 70 plus years of sin, you must suffer one of the worst forms of torture known to man forever. Wouldn't your hatred of God only grow more grim as its eternity rolled on? But doesn't the Bible say the wicked foolish? How could the wages of sin be death when the wicked actually never done? Seems like a good question. If there was an eternally burning place called hell, sin or sinners would have to be miraculously suspended in a state of extreme torture forever, where their implications and curses against this God of love continue as long as he exists. Thus, God would immortalize sin and sinners for eternity. Have you ever thought about how fire would the chemical reactions in the fire are self-propagulating. The heat of the flame itself keeps the fuel at ignition temperature, so it continues to burn as long as there is fuel in the The flame heats any surrounding fuel, in this case the wind, so it releases gases. When the flame ignites the gases, the fire starts. Fire is self-perpetuating, which means as long as there is fire, it burns until nothing is left. 
So here's the logic of conclusion. In order for people to live more than a few minutes or seconds in a fiery furnace, God would have to create a miracle to keep the physical body from being consumed by the fire. Otherwise, no one could live more than a few moments. And no human being has the vital force to withstand that kind of pain more than a few minutes. It is logical to conclude then, if you believe in the doctrine of eternal hellfire, you must also accept the fact that God tortures people for it. Can there be any stretch of the imagination or logic where one can reconcile these two realities? That God is love and he burns people forever. These ideas are mutually exclusive. Either God is not a God of love, in which case he might burn people forever, or he is a God of love, in which case he would never burn. How many billions of people have gone to priceless graves? Are they all doomed to suffer the wrath of God for eternity? And further, could you love or trust a God? A God who says, if you don't love and obey me, I will burn you forever. Could a woman ever love a husband who told her, honey, if you don't love me, I will torture you as long as you live? Could the very thought of a love for her husband be destroyed by such a state? How then can we expect people to love God with the same sentiment ringing in their ears? If you don't love and obey me, I will torture you forever. When challenged on this point, however, many Christians say, Who will we tell God what he can and cannot do? He is God, and he has a right to do whatever he wants. But according to the Bible, he would never do anything that wasn't just and righteous. The very character of God is maligned when we say he burns people forever. And that is exactly what the dark side is. Another question. Would justice be served by burning a human for eternity in the flames of fire for the bad things they did in this life? Note God's comment on the subject. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice and show mercy and compassion to one another. And Moses said, For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Job said, he is excellent in power, in judgment, and abundant in justice. He does not oppress. God's own testimony of himself is that he only acts in a just way. And shouldn't the punishment fit the crime? Even a godless secular society understands this obvious fact. If a shoplifter steals lipstick and a person kills someone, shouldn't the punishment be given? How just then is it to say, any human who even commits one sin and does not repent will burn forever. There's a fascinating passage in Malachi that says, The wicked will be ashes under the soles of our feet. It is literally true. When fire reduces a substance to its final chemical state, all that is left is carbon. The earth is recreated after the fire does its cleansing work, and the wicked will literally be reduced to carbon. You know, just like when someone is cremated, and all that is left of what was once a real living person is a small box of ashes. But what about the eternal hellfire spoken of in the Bible? The answer is simple. Jews said that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah by fire and brimstone are, quote, set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Peter said, God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Luke said, on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. 
So likewise, when the wicked suffer the vengeance of eternal fire, it will destroy them. Is the eternal fire still burning the people of Sodom and Gomorrah today? Obviously not. What then is meant by Jews when he said, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah suffered the vengeance of eternal fire? Simply understood, the expression eternal fire means that the results of the fire are eternal, that the lost perish in the fire never to exist again. Eternal death by fire, fire that destroys forever. One of Jesus' disciples said, Jesus, show us the fire. Jesus replied, Philip, haven't I been with you all this time and you don't know the fire? He who has seen me has seen the fire. Jesus prayed that his Father would forgive those who would crucified. Jesus said, Love your enemies, be kind to those who despitefully use you. In all of Christ's life, did he ever manifest a spirit that would warrant the idea that he would burn people forever who didn't love him? Why then would his Father in heaven do anything different? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we could learn but one thing from the life of Jesus and what his life tells us about his Father in heaven, it is this. God is love. This is good news. God is love, which means there is no eternal torment for the lost, but a cleansing of the universe from the curse of sin. That, my friend, is the truth of God. Yeah, that was, it's really well written. I remember when I first saw that, I wanted to give someone a high five. Like, I just could not believe. I mean, like, I preach for a living. It takes us generally 45 to 50 minutes to deal with this topic. And not, they knocked it out of the park in nine minutes. Like, it's, yeah, it's phenomenal. So, there are two really, really good ones as far as the writing and animation quality for the state of the dead and hell. Um, Another great resource, Amazing Facts Ministries Canada is the YouTube channel. Or if you just search into YouTube, hell hyphen the truth about hell or death hyphen the truth about death, you'll find them there. And I will give you one more here. Um, there we go. So I mentioned Lineage Journey yesterday as uh, creating resources on all kinds of stuff. So. They have 360 videos, so they now have ways to capture videos and pictures that are complete, 360 degrees, so that whenever you look at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, you can actually go anywhere in the picture, up, down, left, right. You can see everything around and They'll actually change locations throughout the video, so you can actually move here, move there. And so it's kind of neat how they've offered that interactive experience because they were on site for all the areas of the Reformation. Uh, not when it happened, uh, later, like in the last couple of years. <laughs> Sorry. Mr. Luther, what do you think about this? No. Um, so anyway, they really, really well done. I'll let you watch one of the episodes. Um, oh, they've got them in other languages now, too. That's legit. Okay. Um, Look at all these different languages. All right. The Mayflower, the protest is not over. We'll watch this one. So they also partnered uh, with us to do a documentary called 95, which is kind of borrowing from a lot of the footage they did on their episodes on Luther. 
and Expounded on It. That's a documentary that's available on ARTV, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. We're actually going to screen another documentary for you guys tomorrow as well uh, for ARTV, but this is the last episode or so, or, or nearly the last episode they released last year called The Protest Is Not Over. And...
so relevant to the church at large today. While we should welcome all opportunities for clarification and cooperation, we should also affirm, as did the reformers, that the Bible is our final authority and that salvation is through faith alone. Luther famously said, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, but to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Today, it will be well for the church at large and each one of us individually to take this as our guide. It is neither right nor safe to go against conscience, and scripture, accompanied by sound reason and the Holy Spirit, needs to be our teacher. Let us be faithful to God's word, gracious in how we share it, firm in our understanding of its truth, and immovable in our conviction. So again, they're on Facebook and YouTube, uh, so those videos can be shared directly through Facebook. They were releasing again weekly last year, all during the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation, and then we released that 95 documentary on ARTV on October 31st last year. So um, anyway, I hope this has been helpful just to let you know that there are Adventists creating awesome resources that you can share with people, and it, many of them cost you nothing. Um, all it takes is just kind of perusing the internet. So hopefully this will kind of make your search a little bit easier just to know that these things exist. And um, yeah, I'm excited for this. I fully believe that the work that God intends to get the gospel to the world will involve technology. And these are, are some of the ways that that's being done. There are more resources being created that I've been able to share today, but this at least gets you started. Um, are there any questions that you guys have or... Um, that I can answer before we close? Yes? What she was talking about, um, if, if I share something on YouTube, what's if something negative is going to happen? No, the point is that Jamie talked about this in her seminar that whenever someone just puts a direct YouTube link in a Facebook post, mm -hmm. Facebook suppresses those many times mm -hmm. uh, because YouTube is a competitor of Facebook. Okay. It depends. Some people may see it, but not all people will see it. How their algorithm works is kind of weird. The point is, if you can find a video that's directly posted to Facebook, share that one instead of using a YouTube link. If it's all you got, post it anyway. Um, and just pray. <laughs> Tell your friends to hit like so Facebook recognizes that people are seeing it and they make it more visible. So that's another way you can get around it. Um, so it doesn't make everything invisible. It just uses this algorithm to make it less visible. What that looks like statistically, we can't fully know because we're not on the backside. Uh, even Facebook doesn't fully know. It's strange. Um, yes? I'm not on Facebook, so like, I want to share like, that there. I just click share. It's like email choice. Yeah, so whenever you click share on YouTube, this is what pops up. So if you have Facebook, Twitter, Google+, I don't know if anyone actually uses that. Maybe they do. Uh, Blogger, Reddit. Tumblr, Pinterest, whatever that is, LinkedIn, and then there's email there, or you can just go here, you copy it, and then you paste it in an email yourself, and you can do it that way. Um, 
They also have a feature, let's say that you found a sermon on YouTube you really like, but because of the way they posted it, they have song service and announcements and something else. You can actually choose when the video starts playing when you send it to them. So one minute and eight seconds in is where we are here. You go to share, you can check this box. It says start at, and then the video will actually start at that location whenever they open it. So if you end up in a situation where there's like, maybe it's a news article and there's nonsense beforehand, you just wanted to see the first, this next part or whatever, that's another option. This embed thing is if you're building a website. Uh, so if you have an actual website, then the embed link will embed that video link into your website as opposed to just posting a YouTube link. Is there a copyright problem or anything with that if no. you embed a video to the website? Uh, well, it depends, but most the, for sharing videos like this, no, you should credit them, though. You should say, this was created by the North England Conference, Youth Conference, whatever, you know, Youth Department. Um, as long as you credit them, to be safe, you can ask them, though, certainly. You can just reach out to the people who made the video and say, hey, is it possible for us to put this on our website? Our church is wanting to put up resources that, you know, are, are helpful, and here's one of them, and then you can talk to them about that. Uh, yeah, any other questions? Has this been helpful to some degree? Just to give you kind of a landscape of what exists in Adventism. Again, there's more, but that's a start. Uh, what I'll do tomorrow is kind of give you a glimpse of what ARTV brings to the table, and then I'll have some time for questions and maybe some other things at the end tomorrow. Um, but if there aren't any other questions, yeah. Oh, sure, no problem, man. Praise the Lord. Um, if I can kind of help hasten your research process by letting you know what exists, then that certainly is helpful. So there's a lot of stuff about our message that's available, let alone the fact that you can just start typing stuff into YouTube, but you may find some rabbits if someone starts telling you that Ellen White says when Jesus is coming back, don't watch it. If someone tells you some other kooky nonsense, don't watch it. Uh, yeah, anywho, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for this privilege to pray uh, that you're using technology in ways to get the gospel in the hands of many people. And I just hope and pray that as a result of what has been seen today, uh, that the people who are present will now better know how to share resources with people through the internet. If they don't know how to create them themselves, uh, here are some resources that others have created. So we just thank you for this, and we pray that you'd bless each person here and make them even more effective in sharing your message with the world. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.